0: Welcome to In the Back Room with Bob Howard, where we will explore topics of leadership, motivation, sales, workplace dynamics, and trends that are shaping our future. Bob has spent the last 15 years as president of a subsidiary for a Fortune 1000 technology solutions company. Bob believes the foundation of leadership starts with integrity, self-awareness, communication, and empathy. Eleanor Roosevelt famously said, Great minds discuss ideas. Average minds discuss events. Small minds discuss people. So let's get started with your host, Bob Howard.
1: Welcome to In the Back Room. This is Bob Howard and this is episode two. I do know that uh, there's probably a chance that Big Brother is listening in right now. And I wanted to talk about a few things on this episode One of them is going to be the LinkedIn survey and some of the results. And I did want to uh, start discussing that. But first, I wanted to discuss the potential of Big Brother listening in. And I was reading on LinkedIn about the increased use of surveillance and monitoring during COVID when a lot of folks were Forced to work from home. So after reading the article, I had to make sure that I was then going to research the information to make sure that it was accurate and up to date. And just to give a little bit of color behind it, when I was reading it, I'm like, God, sounds a lot like George Orwell's 1984 and Big Brother. And this little clip I grabbed was from Wikipedia. In Oceania, the upper and middle classes have very little true privacy. All their houses and apartments are equipped with telescreens so that they may be watched or listened to at any time. Similar telescreens are found at workstations and in public places, along with hidden microphones. Written correspondence is routinely opened and read by the government before it's delivered. The Thought Police employ undercover agents who pose as normal citizens and report any person with subversive tendencies. Children are encouraged to report suspicious persons to the government, and some denounce their own parents. Citizens are controlled, and the smallest sign of rebellion even something as small as suspicious facial inspection, expression can result in immediate arrest and imprisonment. Thus, citizens are compelled to obedience. I was like, wow, okay. Um, I will have to say that if, let's say, I was being recorded in surveillance as part of my job, I would probably be thinking a lot about what I'm saying. Good or bad, right? I mean, people change their behavior based on what they perceive to be happening at a given moment. So we're all used to when you call into a bank or a credit card company, you've heard the following recording, your call may be recorded for quality assurance. You know, that I understand. You know, a bank might want to ensure that the employee is giving the right information to a customer or someone had an issue after um, speaking with someone that they can go back if there's a case of disagreement to see what actually was agreed agreed upon retail stores always use security cameras to be able to record what's going on obviously there's areas inside retail that they can't record whether it's a dressing room bathrooms that makes sense right there's that Area where you have a sense of privacy that you should have and therefore be illegal to record in those situations. Taxi or Uber drivers, Uber drivers, you know, with dash cams. Please fire EMT, check, that all makes sense to me, right? Putting a uh, camera on a school bus to help with potential of issues with bullying. Yeah, okay, Mm -hmm. I don't have an issue with that. And at that point, you know, a lot of places that you go in public, you know, you're being recorded. And what really was bothering me about the articles as I was reading them is if you're an employer, you're a leader, you're a manager, if you have measurable metrics in place, then I think that works for accountability, So in sales division, let's say you have pipeline. You have number of calls or touches uh, an account manager or field rep is required to have. You have revenue and GP goals. Then there's no need, in my opinion, to have a system that takes a picture every minute to make sure they're sitting at their desk or their computer. That is recording all the conversations indirectly in the background, a la Google Alexa Siri. That would be concerning to me. You know, when you have a virtual assistant at home, you know, you can shut them, shut them off or turn them on, or you can change how long that that information can be kept in the cloud. I was also then reading an article in the Washington Post, and the article was titled Keystroke Tracking Screenshots and Facial Recognition. The boss may be watching long after the pandemic ends. And this is from the article, What Workers Should Know About Corporate Surveillance Software as Companies Consider Permanent Remote Work Policies. A lawyer with 34 years experience received a laptop in the mail with her instructions. To get paid, she'd have to comply with a company-mandated facial recognition system for every minute of her contract. If she looked away for too many seconds was shifted in her chair, she'd have to scan her face back in from three separate angles, a process she ended up doing several times a day. And for this individual, the laptop's unblinking little camera light quickly became a nightmare and a reminder of what her new workday might look like even after the pandemic fades. After two weeks, she ended her contract and pledged never to consent to that kind of monitoring again. You know what, if you hire the right people and you train them and you give them clear goals and you're checking in with them as part of your management process, why do you need to have a surveillance program? What, what's that saying about you as the employer, you as the leader, uh, you know, um, obviously, you know, if you're interviewing somebody and you're not trusting them, don't hire them. Right. You shouldn't have to, in my opinion, unless it's a requirement of the job for whatever reasons, and everyone knows it up front, just have to put something in place to make sure they're doing the job. I believe that 90% of the people when they get up and they work or go to work in the morning, they want to do a great job. So if I go in with the thought process and I'm hiring people and I don't trust them, God, that's not something I would want to do. I wouldn't want to be the person implementing it, and I certainly wouldn't want to be the person working in a situation where I'm not trusted as an employee. So picture this. One day you come home, and the following conversation takes place, right? This could be with your father, mother, spouse, partner, roommate, boyfriend, girlfriend, spiritual leader. It doesn't matter, right? Hey, Bob, how was your day? Great. How about you? Oh, it was awesome. You know, I had a good day and went down, had a good lunch, met with uh, Jackie. We talked about, you know, what we're going to do this weekend. Oh, awesome. Hey, can you do me a favor? When you have a chance, can you go to this website? I need you to download this software onto your computer and then go to an app store for your phone and download this application. Okay. Why? Well, what I want to be able to do is, one, be able to see where you are at all times. And I want a key um, stroke recorder. So everything you're typing, I could uh, check. What? What do you mean? Well, I just want to know everything that's going on. I want to make sure that, you know, you're doing what you're supposed to do. You're not somewhere you're not supposed to be. Now, think about this. <laughs> do you think that person trusts you? Hell no, Right. Do they have your best interest at heart? Mm, No, it sounds like they have their best interest at heart. Do you think tracking everything your kids says and does and where they've been will bring you guys closer together or is going to pull you farther apart? And if you're tracking them all the time, does it increase your anxiety? Yeah, I would think so. You're always wondering what they're doing. Where are they? Are they supposed to be here? Are they supposed to be there? My kid said he was going to the ball game. What's he doing at the pizza restaurant? All I know is when I was younger, my mom, she'd be like, All right, get out. I'll see you at dinner time. Or after dinner, get out. When you start seeing the sun come down, head on home. And uh, that was about it for remote monitoring for my mom. <laughs> now, granted, the technology wasn't there then, but she wasn't calling around to all the neighbors all the time saying, Hey, where's Bob? Where's uh, Brian? What's going on? That's, to me, not a way to build trust. The other part of it from a legality standpoint is if you're interacting with customers on the phone or other individuals in a work-from-home situation that are just somewhere in the background, if there's audio recordings those individuals could also be picked up. So let's use a customer in this situation. You're speaking with a customer, and if I'm in a state as an employer or employee, that state might have what they call a one-way approval, uh, meaning in essence that you need one of the parties to authorize a recording of a conversation. And then you have states that are two party, which means both parties have to, you know, approve of a recording. And if I'm talking to a customer and I reside in a one party state and they reside in a two party state. So let's say I don't even know I'm being recorded. How can I notify the other individual that it's going to be monitored and recorded? The second part is, is keystrokes, right? Right. If somebody's uh, logging all that, that is a recording. And if it's a text message that's live and that other individual's in another state, I mean, that's a whole lot of questions that come up. But in the end, it really does come down to if you have an employee and they're working and they need to work from home during the uh, pandemic, if you have to get to the point where you have to know where they are every single minute, that is, I think, an issue with the employer. Yes, there's always one-offs, but you know, if you have those metrics in place, you'll know. And then have a conversation with someone, right? And that leads me into really the first part of episode two, or now the second, which is communication and leadership. So when I look at... The results of my LinkedIn survey that I did online, the question was, what is the top quality you look for in an effective leader? And it was interesting. It was about a little bit about what I expected to come in at. Effective communication was 31 percent, ethical and honest, 28 percent, emotional intelligence, 25 percent, and vision was 16 percent. And, you know, we'll get in a little bit later, not on this uh, episode about maybe why I feel folks chose vision last. Um, I do know why people would definitely choose effective communication as the top means of what they look for in a leader. And as I get into it, just a quick background from my professional standpoint, just so uh, folks understand what experience do I have? When I take a look at my career in the, what I'll call management field, I worked 10 years at Micro Warehouse in New Jersey. They were both consumer and corporate. Corporate was basically, they had major accounts, which was Fortune 1000. And then commercial was 1000 and below for users. They also had a division called Datacom and they were responsible for all networking solutions you know i started off as an account manager um and then when i was looking to get into sales management i noticed that uh it was going to be very difficult to get a corporate outbound sales manager role and what i felt i needed to do since it was going to be my first real management role was take on a position nights and weekends as the inbound sales manager and that was back in the day when there was 15,000 calls coming in a day for equipment, notebooks, desktop, software. And I learned a lot about interviewing, hiring, motivation, scheduling, how to manage a queue from an inbound call center uh, perspective. And that was a lot of fun. So when an outbound role did open up for a sales manager, I did Uh, Get that role. I was then promoted to director of commercial sales when I was out in Gibbsboro, New Jersey. And then I was promoted to group director, had somewhere north of 300 sales folks while I was out there. And that was uh, a lot of fun. Learned a lot. I left probably six months maybe before CDW bought MicroWarehouse. Warehouse And then I went to uh, PC Connection up in New Hampshire, and I was there for 19 years up until April 30th. I started off as a director of commercial sales, then senior director of commercial sales, both in Keene and Portsmouth. I was promoted to vice president of state local education. Then I was given responsibility for all public sector with the federal business And approximately 16 years, I was the president of public sector responsible for all the sales contracts and operations for uh, the subsidiary. And that was a great job. I had the honor of working with some of the most amazing people that were both within my subsidiary, but also within the other segments and the support organizations. And I definitely learned a lot from that. And when I looked at the LinkedIn survey, to me, effective communication is probably, well, it is, in my opinion, the number one item that a leader needs to be focused on. There's a couple of different quotes that I've seen over the years. Um, This one I really like a lot, which is from Ralph Waldo Emerson, what you do speaks so loudly that I cannot hear what you say, and the reason why I love that so much is there's a lot of people out there that can talk a really good game. There's a lot of people that are going to say, "Yes, I'm going to go do that." Then there's no follow-through. So when you, whether it's a leader, you're a manager, or someone else, you get to the point where As they're explaining or working on something and says what they're going to do, you just kind of think back to in the past, do they always follow through with that? And to me, that's why effective communication is so important. You know, it's simply being able to communicate what's going on, share it with folks, both good and bad news. And Peter Drucker said the most important thing in communication is hearing what isn't said. And that's great advice. And I feel, though, the most important part of communication is making sure that we ask the right questions and that we're actually listening to what someone is telling us and not thinking about what it is that we want to say or we want someone to just go with. And if somebody isn't saying anything, is it because, again, we didn't ask the right question? Are they afraid to share that information with us? And that's not a good situation because that means, again, that trust is not there, which brings me back to 1984, right? If people don't feel they can trust you, they're certainly not going to share with you any information that they feel that something negative that comes back to them. Even recently, um, with my son, he reminded me, and it was uh, great advice, that people will tend to fill in missing information in a conversation based on their past experiences. Last year, when we went into a work-from-home mode, I was really impressed by how my team responded. We implemented a daily 5 o'clock Zoom call. At certain times, there were anywhere from, let's say, 9 to 13 individuals that joined every single uh, day. We would discuss the challenges and successes of that day. People, you know, shared some laughs and talked about things that they needed some help and support on from other departments. And it really was just great to see that team building, camaraderie, and the open line of communication and how everyone felt so comfortable in sharing their concerns, or thoughts about how to improve things. And I also learned through an article, and I can't remember where I read it, um, but I'll try to be short with this, is a commanding officer in the military had learned that in order to get better open feedback from his staff, that when he would go into a meeting in the past he would typically share what his thoughts were on the situation that they had in front of them and what he thought the best way to go about that was so the commanding officer would ask people for their feedback and what they found was no matter what some individuals were not going to contradict their commanding officer in front of the rest of the staff so Based on what he had learned uh, in some training was that just going into the meeting, discussing what the situation was that they were trying to resolve, he would then go around, ask everyone for their thoughts and opinions on how best to resolve it. And then at the very end, he would share his thoughts about the situation And they would always get at least open communication, regardless of whether they went with the commanding officer's original thoughts on how to resolve it. Or if it was a decision that was based off of all the feedback that they received from everyone. You know, in the end, communication builds trust. It definitely will provide transparency, which supports that building of trust. It will get you better feedback and increased engagement, which helps with building trust. I mean, everything in communication goes back to trust. If you do a really good job on it, you're going to have trust with your people. They're going to trust you, which is going to increase productivity. And you need to trust your people. End the story. I'm going to end on that note. So make sure you tune in next week for an amazing interview with a president and Chief Revenue Officer for an AI company in the education space. I hope everyone has a great week and I will talk to you soon.
0: Thanks again for listening to In the Back Room with Bob Howard. And make sure to share your thoughts, questions, and ideas for future podcasts to Bob at InTheBackRoomPodcast.com. Have a great week.